We are about to unfold the story of Frankenstein, a man of science who sought to create a man after his own image. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. Welcome to the now playing Universal Films Frankenstein movie retrospective series. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! Hosted by Jacob. I'd hate to find him under my bed at night. Arnie. You think I'm mad? Perhaps I am. And Stuart. England's greatest sinner. This episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and strong language. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, well, we've warned you. We hope you enjoy the show. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> Today we're discussing The Ghost of Frankenstein, starring Cedric Hardwick. Ralph Bellamy, the guy from Trading Places is here, guys. I wondered if you'd recognize him. I did not (laughs) physically recognize him, but I knew the name. No, but I recognized the name in the credits and it got me excited. Mm -hmm. Lionel Atwell, Bella Lugosi, Evelyn Ankers, and Lon Chaney Jr. Directed by Earl C. Kenton. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and tonight Arnie will die for you, or at least podcast for you. I I hope it doesn't come to that. This is Stuart. (laughs) And this is the co-host who is not subject to the ordinary laws of life, Jacob. Okay, it's only been three years since Son of Frankenstein, and yet the world is an entirely different place, starting with the fact that half of the paying audience is now overseas fighting in a war, right? America, 1942, we are now firmly entrenched in World War II. It's crazy. I actually had been doing some reading on my own about World War II, and the draft actually started before we entered the war, and the amount of people who got conscripted into the military is an absolutely huge number. So, yeah, you're right. Half the paying audience just sounds like a right number that has been shipped overseas, and if they're lucky, get furloughed to go home, see the family. Will they go and see Ghost of Frankenstein (laughs) during that brief time? And all the people that are still here, it should be said, are are anxious, a fearful state. That There are some culture theorists that have suggested the reason why noir movies and monster movies are so popular in the 1940s is because we have this climate of anxiety and paranoia due to the war. One thing is definitely true, it's good for Universal Studios. They have become a creature feature factory by this point. I mentioned last time, uh, they only had, what, eight, nine movies that they made that had Universal monsters in the 30s. In the first five years of the 1940s, they have 20. This thing is just like, shoot them cheap, knock them out. It's not unlike the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, like every three months, we have new product coming out. Reuse the sets, reuse the scores. Don't pay a lot for big directors or big stars. The monsters are the stars. You don't need a movie star in these things. It's definitely become more of a BP picture affair. What were the monsters that were happening at this time? Because obviously we've covered Dracula, we've covered Frankenstein, there's talks, you know, we can continue covering these monsters. What movies are the ones that have come out? Obviously Wolfman would have been in there somewhere. 
Yes. A Wolfman would have just happened the previous year from right before Ghost of Frankenstein, Lon Chaney's big film. He will obviously be the Frankenstein monster in this one, but his breakout was, well, man-made monster and then Wolfman. And then also from the 30s, if you're talking about the classic era, the ones that had everyone excited were Dracula, Frankenstein, Mummy, The Invisible Man, and yes, werewolves. Those were the monsters. Creature from the Black Lagoon (laughs) wouldn't happen until the 50s. So the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Got it. (laughs) Right. And yeah, I think that this movie is very reflective of this new climate where, again, there is no star director. This guy, Kenton, he is one of the original Keystone Cops. He goes all the way back to like the 1910s silent comedies. He's been cranking out movies an average of three a year that he makes. So like this is not a passion project for him. He is not like James Whale, deeply invested in these characters or this story. It's just something he's doing this week. Yeah, I got to ask if there's even a script involved with this. Like, when you get into it, there are subplots that I don't know why they're in this. They feel like something that got cut. Or maybe it was from a different movie and they just had to put it in here to get this just over an hour. I mean, that happens. I mean, again, sets get repurposed. The musical score in this is actually bits and pieces from Wolf Band they didn't use. Like, they're just literally, like, it's very efficient that way. And don't forget this, too. Movies were double features. People went to the movies to escape. When this thing came out, it was a hit, but it was usually paired with comedies or mysteries. Laurel and Hardy movies, Charlie Chan movies, it split the profits with other things. And so, was it that people just loved Ghost of Frankenstein so much, or did they just like the fact that they get a little bit of shock and horror and then a little laugh or intrigue? Yes, this thing is barely an hour paired with another movie. You'd have the runtime of an actual movie. But we do have, yeah, recognizable faces, returning faces. I said there are no stars, but now that we've seen a couple of these things, obviously Boris Karloff is gone. Lon Chaney Jr., he is a year away from being Count Alucard, uh, the Dracula backwards son of Dracula we covered last year. Did you recognize him? I guess it would be hard to under this makeup. It's hard under that makeup. It feels like, yeah, they give him an even more square head than I've seen Frankenstein before. Like his eyelids, like, yeah, it's kind of weird looking. Yeah, he didn't look like Alucard to me, but he didn't look like Karloff either. I could tell it was a different Frankenstein, but I couldn't necessarily really see the man of a thousand faces in there. Right. And Bela's back. Igor is here again. And he seems perfectly happy at this point. He does a lot of Universal movies, whereas Karloff is kind of doing other stuff, costume dramas. He is a hired player. Keep in mind, actors worked for studios. And so they would bring him in almost all. Uh, you know, what am I doing this week? Oh, I'm Igor again. Like He was just popping up in a lot of Universal monster projects because that was his brand. By 1942, he was not going to ever be that romantic lead that he wanted to be. Lionel Atwell is also back. You seem to like the Inspector Crow last time, Arnie. Uh, he is going to be playing the jealous mentor, Dr. Bomer. I don't know if you recognized. I didn't. That's interesting to me. I did not catch that this time around. Thanks for pointing it out. Yeah, a lot of recycling happening, and that that's plot points as well. We can talk about the script. Let's find out what the story is, and we'll see if we like the ghost of Frankenstein as much as the previous Frankensteins. Picking up from where Son of Frankenstein ended, the monster had been burned to death in the sulfur pits, while Igor, played by Bela Lugosi, was shot. But it turns out neither one died. Mm, never. Igor survived the shooting, and the sulfur didn't burn Frankenstein's monster, but only weakened him. 
preserved him, made him better. Like, I feel like this movie is an advertisement for sulfur usage. Your skin will be so much better. It's like amber. It's like the mosquito in Jurassic Park. He survives because he fell into that sulfur. To restore the monster to full strength or better, Igor finds Henry Frankenstein's other son, Ludwig Frankenstein. Do tell. I don't remember this. A groundbreaking surgeon who just performed the world's first brain removal and reattachment. (laughs) Which is how I want my brain surgery done. Just pull it out of my skull, dust it (laughs) off a bit, cut off all the abnormal lumps, and put it back in. Actually, I think that there's several now playing movies where having that done before and after the movie would help my review. Yeah, agreed. (laughs) More recommends if that were to happen. Igor and the monster arrive in town and the monster kills a couple townspeople. Igor goes to Ludwig Frankenstein and asks for help healing the creature. Ludwig agrees, thinking he can restore his father's reputation. Ludwig believes the only problem with the monster is that it was built with a criminal brain. But if Ludwig replaced that brain with a normal brain, then the monster would be an intelligent man. The monster kills one of Frankenstein's colleagues, Dr. Kettering, and Frankenstein believes Kettering's brain would be a good replacement for the monster's current one. But Igor wants his brain to be put in the immortal monster's body. He convinces Frankenstein's jealous assistant, Dr. Bomer, to switch the brains, and that Bomer would get all the glory for the experiment. Frankenstein performs the surgery, and it is Igor's brain put in the monster's body. The Igor monster attacks and kills Dr. Frankenstein, but then goes blind. Dying, Frankenstein tells Bomer that Igor was not the proper blood type for a transplant into the monster. (laughs) Yes, after all these movies, my little unvoiced gripe about tissue rejection is finally coming into play. (laughs) Oh, okay, you like this. All right, interesting. Raging, the Igor monster kills Bomer and sets fire to Frankenstein's chateau, which burns to the ground with Igor monster inside as credits roll. As we start, we're back at the village Frankenstein, and I will say this for the script, that Scott Darling, when he was given this assignment, he was told, we need a Frankenstein yesterday, get this thing going, but he was given access to the previous three films and screened them all, and I do see that there was some concern about consistency, that these are the same villagers we're actually picking up right as the train seems to have left the station, taken away that Basil Rathbone character we didn't care anything about. Wolf Frankenstein. Yeah, what are we going to do with this castle? Finally, they have the right idea. I say rename the town. If you don't like <laughs> the name Frankenstein, maybe consider, you know, Sunnyvale or something. You know, like a happy name for your town might be a place to start. But sure, grab some TNT and torches and blow the shit up out of that castle as well. Yeah, it's a good explosion. Like, you get some good rubble falling down with these little miniatures. And watching this film so close after part three, I did appreciate the consistency here between them. Although Igor survived. I mean, I'm torn. On the one hand, I loved Bella in the last film. I want him back. On the other hand, he was pretty clearly dead. Look, I'm not going to complain about Bella being back. That's a plus for me. But I guess my reading is because he survived death once, he is immortal too, like Frankenstein. Like he just, he can't die now. It's weird that he's going to spend this movie trying to angle towards immortality because he's already, yeah, more lives than a cat. 
But he's not strong like Frank the monster. He got hung already from the gallows. He got shot three times. This guy seems pretty durable. The villagers say over and over too, like this is the curse of Frankenstein. I feel like that would be a better title for this. That they go with ghost of Frankenstein. When we get to that ghost, I can't believe there's a ghost in this. This is not what you do for the secret. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the curse of Frankenstein. The name has haunted this village. They even say that. Yeah, they say the curse of Frankenstein a few times. Yeah. Yeah, many times. I feel like that should have been and probably was. It is a better title. It worked for the fly. Yeah, right. Yeah. Curse of Frankenstein. What better thing to do than get rid of it? And that Igor is standing up top throwing rocks at them. Two birds with one stone. Maybe we can blow him up. We do have some spectacular footage of him kind of falling downstairs as they're collapsing and running to the basement because that's where all the secret tunnels are to get out. And yeah, we have this sort of awkward scene of a hand projecting from the wall and dust it off and you realize, hey, all that lava is actually like, again, the word I heard... It good for you. <laughs> it has made him preserved and healed him. It has kept him protected as all the explosions are going off. It's like hardened. Yeah, like amber. Yeah, like a protective shell formed around him. Again, we saw his body burn to ash pretty clearly last time, but th there's no VHS back then, no streaming services where you can watch these close together. So they got to bring him back somehow. Yeah, I, even if they do, I mean, you could have, and I'm sure there were double features of screening sun and ghost back to back, but audiences just accept that if you're bringing back things that we want and we want Frankenstein and we want Igor, we don't want them to be dead. Don't belabor them coming back. Don't give us lookalikes or people that are sort of Igor's brother. I don't want that. I want Bela doing what he did last time. I will say this though. I don't think Bela is as good this time. I don't know whether it's because the director is not giving him the free reign to be as fun and crazy creative with the performance or maybe it's just I've seen this performance already and this movie is kind of pokey and, and not really Igor focused in the way that Son of Frankenstein was. I agree with you, Stuart. I'm so glad Bella's back, but like, yeah, I'm not writing down lines that he's giving in this one like I did with the last one. Like, that was so memorable, but he's doing the same shtick and I like that. Yeah, it's a sequel version of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they need some new gimmick. He isn't enough to save this movie. I'm hoping it's the ghost, but this opening <laughs> has confirmed that this is not going to be about a seance, a poltergeist. That would be kind of fun to think that a reanimated corpse has a soul that could now be haunting a castle. It would have been a way to go with it, but they don't honor the name. This is not about a ghost of the Frankenstein monster or even the other Frankensteins. It's Henry Frankenstein showing up in the middle to just sort of remind you about what happened in the other movies. So they're leaving town. You blew up our castle. We got no other reason to stay. They start heading off to some long lost brother. It took me a second even to realize. I was like, was this Peter's brother? Did they have another child? That's what I was wondering. I'm like, oh, is this Peter? This is the son of the son of Frankenstein. And then they're like, you had another brother. I'm like, oh, did Peter have a brother that we didn't meet in that movie? But no, this is not Peter related to Peter. This is his dad that this guy's a brother to. Yeah, Peter's uncle. Yeah, Wolfgang's brother, Henry's other son from the same mother, maybe? Yeah, that's how I take it. <laughs> they must be estranged because they certainly didn't have any contact in the last movie. 
And yet he's also a successful MD whose focus now is on mental health specifically. We cut to this shingle advertising cures diseases of the mind. So he's definitely, you know, he's not the rebel of the family. He didn't form a rock band. He's not like breaking away from the family history of messing with bodies and brains. But that did tip me off. Oh, we've always talked about Frankenstein supposedly is bad because he has that abnormal brain. If we could fix that, he would be a distinguished gentleman. So yeah, as soon as they show that this is a brain doctor, I'm like, oh, that's got to be the gist of this film. They're going to put a real brain in him by the end. Yeah. And he's doing, again, you say mental health and I'm thinking Sigmund Freud, analyst, I'll lay down on the couch, tell me about your mother, that he's pulling brains out of heads and dusting them off and then putting them back in and these people are better for it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they were still using leeches in those days. This is just some kind of lobotomy, right? Maybe. Maybe that's all we're watching. It's hard to say. Cedric Hardwick, I don't know this actor. The compliment I can give is he is just as meaningless to me as Colin Cly was in the first two and as Basil Rathbone was in the last one. I've never cared about Frankenstein. These movies are named after the Doctor and the Doctor is always the second least interesting thing about it. I think the wives are always the most least interesting thing about it. But I never care about the mad scientist. This one's even worse because there's three doctors. I have no idea which one's Frankenstein. There's Bomer. There's this other one that's going to die. Like, I never know who Frankenstein is in this film. You didn't recognize Bomer as the inspector then? No, I did not. (laughs) I don't think you can. I don't think that, yeah, there's anything distinctive. He's not funny in this. No. Yeah, they're not distinctive. They're all wearing the same kind of outfits and... Yeah, yeah. What I heard was that Bomer is, he doesn't look any older than Ludwig, but Bomer was at one point the big dog and he did the pioneering experiments, but they went wrong. That's not hard to imagine, but yes, these early (laughs) brain surgeries went wrong and now he's sort of schlepping for the protege, that his student outshines him now and that jealousy is supposed to fuel the plot for Igor once it gets going here in the middle of the movie as Igor is coming to town to stir up trouble. Also worth pointing out, as they're making their way to this village, this nearby, Frankenstein gets hit by lightning, and it does not put him in a coma. He does not get knocked out. No, it's good for him. It recharges his batteries. He's healthy now. Yeah, that's what I hear Igor say. Good for you. Everything is good for you. I got shot. Good for me. More iron and diet. Yeah, I like it when they get to town, though. I mean, it doesn't seem to take them long. Igor has been keeping an eye on the Frankenstein family tree, knew where Ludwig was, was within walking distance of Castle Frankenstein. And when they get there, the monster is just going to help a little girl get her ball off a roof. Yeah, again, this studied the previous films. What is a consistent thing we've seen in all of them? That Frankenstein relates to, he has the mind of a child. And so when he sees little children, whether it's Peter last time or the girl he threw into the lake the first time, there is some connection. And I think that, yeah, we're back to a sweet Frankenstein. He killed everyone that Igor told him to. And even though lightning has struck him and he's super powerful, I don't feel like he's on a rampage. I think that he wants to play kickball. Yeah, this feels like a return to that misunderstood Mm -hmm. monster where he's helping the child get her ball and people will go, oh no, he's a monster. He's going to hurt that child. So of course he like pushes those men off the roof as they try to save that child. And like, it's this tragedy that people assume because of his appearance. And yeah, so they're just, they're hitting all those notes from the first one, but like it's Frankenstein. Like I imagine he has to go deal with that every town he goes into. 
Yeah. And although I liked and wanted Karloff to talk in the last movie, I fully accept that Frankenstein will probably not do that again, that we're going to get the grunting. If you're going to do that, if you're going to make it a physical performance, I think that Lon Chaney Jr. is best off being able to have a child to play with. They were smart to bring that back as a co-star. And this Chloe Steen will actually be important throughout the movie. She'll keep popping up as we go along. Yeah, you say important. I struggle with that. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that she's important. She does keep returning. Yeah, all right. That's <laughs> yes. what I'm saying. But yeah, in the beginning, she's the reason he's in jail. He is immediately grabbed and hauled into town and thrown into jail while Igor is going to talk to Ludwig and say, hey, isn't it weird that your brother killed me? Does he know this? Were letters written to Ludwig telling him, you know, this is what's going on over in Village Frankenstein? <laughs> I don't know how scandalous his profession can be when they're so far removed from what Henry and Wolfgang were doing. But he doesn't like the fact that, yes, the family curse, and again, better title, could follow him here and ruin his practice. So he kind of agrees that he'll help the Frankenstein monster that is now in jail. He goes down to the courthouse. I mean, he's not lying when he says, I've never seen this man before. Not only is it not Boris Karloff, but yeah, he was (laughs) never in the previous movies. So why would he recognize the monster? But the monster gets pissed about that. And he's like, what are you saying you don't know me? Yes, he does. (laughs) Is that what he's pissed about? I thought he was pissed about seeing a creator. And again, Ludwig is guilty by association. No, I took it that he was upset that he disavowed any knowledge of the monster. Okay. I thought he just saw a Frankenstein and was like, I hate you. You guys are bad to me. No, I took it as it was specifically about the denying knowledge of him. For whatever reason, what I heard was Igor says, have the police turn him over into custody, but it goes sideways. Like, all of a sudden, the guy's breaking chains because we want a little action. This movie is kind of dull, frankly. And so, yeah, here he tears up the courthouse, throws some cops around, and escapes with Igor in a carriage. And we'll have to come to the doctor much later. Meanwhile, we have Elsa. And I've already mentioned that the women in these projects, even in Bride, I felt like Henry Frankenstein's wife could have played a bigger role. We have have another Elsa Frankenstein. This is the daughter, the niece of the Elsa we had last week, but now the daughter of Ludwig does not know anything about the family curse, is finding the box full of diary entries and scientific experiments, and we just have a lot of time spent on her disapproval and fear. Yeah, I really struggled with this plot summary because she plays no part in the plot, and yet we have so much time spent with her in the movie... Just like the little girl. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, for ticket sales, you do want a pretty young woman in this. And this actress was in a lot of horror things. Like they cast her specifically because they liked her scream. And that's pretty much all she does in this movie. Yeah, I will say out of all these wives that do nothing in these films, this is the one that like made the most impression on me. Like I could tell you stuff Elsa does. Like She has some kind of subplot. She's going to run off with Eric or something like, yeah, there's something to Elsa here. Unlike the other ones. Not much, though. Yeah. I mean, what she does, the story engine is if you have missed the other films, she will thumb through some paperwork and we will have a long segment of showing clips from the first movie that explained everything that Henry Frankenstein did 
that was bad and why she doesn't want her father ruining her happy life by getting involved in trying to recreate these experiments. But she doesn't actually stop him from doing that. And even when she knows there is a monster and all of that, she just she's dating the police inspector. Yeah. And she doesn't even tell Eric. You mentioned Eric, Ralph Bellamy from Trading Places. Neither one of them do too much in this movie other than facilitate backstory. Yeah. And yet the final shot of the movie is going to be on them like they were supposed to matter. It really confused me. Yes. Maybe that's where I remember Elsa so much. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the cliche is you want lovers and tragedy. And, you know, that was the final shot of Bride was a couple running away from an explosion. Again, studied the past. This definitely is paying attention to what happened in previous Frankenstein movies. Maybe that continuity matters to you. But I would like more colorful characters. Uh, What got the last movie over the hump for me was I like the inspector and I liked Igor. And here there's not much Igor. There's not even much monster and none of the other characters, this rivalry between doctors is kind of silly. The plot that kicks in around the 25-minute marks is we have this third-wheel Dr. Kettering who's standing around waiting to die when the monster bursts in. And now that he's dead, everyone debates about whether they should put his good brain in the bad creature's head. Yeah, because like you said, we got that visit from the ghost of Dr. Frankenstein. I thought that title was going to be a lot more figurative. Like, yeah, Frankenstein, he's always haunting us with his monster hijinks. But no, we get this literal ghost showing up and he's like, yes, fix that brain. Played by the actor who's playing Ludwig, not Colin Clive, because the actor who played Henry. So this is the son of Frankenstein, No, no. I mean, this is like the doppelganger of Frankenstein. This is the double, the twin of Frankenstein. Colin Clive had actually died of alcoholism five years before, so could not play the ghost. Yeah, I thought the ghost might be more literal. I literally thought this could be about a haunting of (laughs) Castle Frankenstein, so... Should be, right? I mean, if we're going to have fun, that sounds like fun. That sounds like something new to do. It's all great and well that you've studied what works in previous Frankenstein movies and you're connecting to those beats and replaying them and showing some care for the property. But I want some recklessness too. I want someone to go in a new direction. And yes, you tell me there's a ghost in this and I want chains and walking through walls (laughs) and people hearing boo. You know, that should be happening. That's what I kind of thought this movie would be, so that this ghost of Henry Frankenstein just shows up here for a little bit really was disappointing. But I guess it does literalize the title instead of it just being the ghosts of the past, that there is a literal ghost that shows up and is like, fix my name, correct my wrong, put a good brain in the monster's body. He's a devil on the Ludwig shoulder because I don't think Ludwig needs to get involved, right? I already have success. I already have a claim. I don't need to create life from lightning or cosmic rays or anything. That's always gone bad. But here's my father telling me that all you need to do to fix it, the only thing that was ever wrong, and this is a more plausible theory than gamma rays or whatever. Yes, (laughs) that don't use a criminal brain in the head of my monster. And now that there's a good doctor lying dead... It's just so easy to do. Just plug it in. Now, can you imagine being Dr. Kettering? You're killed by this monster. You are a notable brain surgeon. (laughs) You come back to life in this monstrous form. 
keep doing it, right? He could still do surgeries. I mean, maybe the patients are a little bit weirded out, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, jumping ahead to the end, I kind of wanted to see that. How would a doctor respond to waking up in this body? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could be a funny body swapping comedy. You could do something. I think what we're sitting here imagining is, how do we take this concept and go a little bit wild with it? Because this movie is dull. It's drab. It's boring. It's predictable. And that is too bad. Because even in the first film, the iconic one where we all knew what happened, it had some life to it. And this one really doesn't have much of a spark. No, despite the electricity they're going to have to use to revive Frankenstein, this one is lifeless. And I just wish more had been done with that concept. And the monster himself is pretty game to have a brain replacement, but he wants it to be the little girl. He's going to go out to town and kidnap that little girl from the opening of the film and start a fire. Yeah, right. If you needed a good brain, not an abnormal brain, better than a doctor would be a child, right? Nothing is more innocent than a young child. So again, what would life be like? You're a six-year-old girl and suddenly you're a (laughs) seven-foot green monster. I don't know what that would be, but I can understand the impulse. I can understand why the monster chooses her. And she kind of goes willingly. Like she wakes up and smiles when she sees him standing over the bed and she doesn't cry out when they leave and he knocks over the oil lamp and burns the whole house down. She will ask for help, like, when she gets taken to that lab, though. The way that Lon Chaney is just flinging her around as she's wrapped in that blanket, I felt very worried for this child. (laughs) I did, too. Particularly since I know that they don't ever sub with dummies, you know, from the first film. No. We use the real actor always when we're levitating the slab or, yeah, the father carrying the child. We want that realism. And here, yeah, this real child is really being flung around in a blanket in ways that feel like child abuse. But here's what's crazy is they're like, no, Frank, we can't do that. Like they take the child. We're going to find out two weeks past that house (laughs) is burned down. They believe the child is gone because they haven't found the body. Elsa has just been holding on to this kid for two weeks. Sure. Why not? Wouldn't you? Yes. Why? If a monster (laughs) brought you a child and said, I want this in my head. She saved it by pulling it away. Well, I saw was she got locked in a room. So some of this is, I guess, just daddy like didn't give her the opportunity. I don't know. Who cares about Elsa is I think part of the problem (laughs) is that the series, if you're studying the series, they've never cared about the female characters and Ghost of Frankenstein is going to continue that tradition. Elsa and this girl child disappear from this plot and we now have all of this professional jealousy. This seems out of nowhere. Do you feel this was set up, all this stuff with Bomer? Yes, Yeah, it was set up. It was definitely there in the early scenes and when they're discussing how Bomer was his teacher and now is his apprentice or at least assistant. But so Bomer makes this deal with Igor to put Igor's brain into the monster and that's going to make him famous because he was like the first to concept or something. Well, here's what I'm wondering, because we know Igor is good with the mind control. I didn't see him pull out a flute, but maybe this guy is going against his better judgment because Igor has forced him to do this against his will, because there is no logical reason to think that you'll be more celebrated for putting an Igor brain. Yeah. (laughs) A wanted criminal in the big monster's head more than a respected doctor. That doesn't make any sense. That's not a quicker path to fame. It doesn't even make you look 
look better than the doctor who's actually performing the surgery that you're trying to outshine. So I have to just write this off as Igor is a mentalist who has convinced through the power of hypnosis a good doctor into doing bad work. You are giving this film way too (laughs) big a give me with that because I took it as just face value. There's nothing to imply that Igor is using mental powers going on here. But he has them, or at least the flute does. He has control over the monster who is adult. I don't think he could just play that flute and have anybody do his bidding. So I think this is just poorly written and you're giving it a big gimme. No, I'm not giving it that much. I'm just trying to understand why this suddenly gets swapped. And again, it takes a really long time, like 50 minutes into the movie. They had the surgery where, yeah, Igor is told no promises, but Bomer is going to anesthetize him and put his brain into a jar and give that jar to Frankenstein so that he can think that he's putting in Kettering's brain and healing the reputation of the monster. And we have a couple moments where, yeah, this guy, Eric, who is dating Frankenstein's daughter, is the first to get to the house and hear Bella's voice coming out of Lon Chaney's body. Now, this is kind of a moment of fun, right? I wish this was more of the film. I know, this is the best part of the film, is to hear Bella speak and Igor come out of the monster's mouth. I, Igor, will live forever. <laughs> yeah, this is like, this it should be the movie. This should have happened yes. within 30 minutes. And now let's spend an hour with Igor Stein. Like that feels like you've upped the game and had a lot of fun. But we're kind of at the end and there will only be about three minutes of Igor Stein. I don't understand other than nobody cared that much about this movie. The factory mentality of, well, we'll fix it in the next one. I just feel like you want to give people a bigger experience than this movie is going to give them. Yeah, I completely agree. Once Igor Stein comes, my interest in this movie picks up so considerably and the movie's almost over. So we're not going to get a whole lot of time. And it doesn't take very long before Igor goes blind because of the (laughs) blood type. Can I also just throw one more thing since we like to pick nits, but like, okay, I'm Frankenstein. I don't know that the jar has Igor's brain, but I do, I have been taught and have learned for years that abnormal brains look a certain way. You would think that Igor's brain would look pretty goddamn bad, right? Like you wouldn't (laughs) put that lumpy brain in thinking that was a normal brain. I mean, he's dead. Yeah. (laughs) This is still on Frankenstein. The Frankensteins are very bad at identifying brains. Yeah, I still think this is Frankenstein's failure here, that even though he didn't know, he should have known. Again, that you know what an abnormal brain looks like. This is as abnormal as it gets. This is an Igor brain. But the other thing they've retained is we have an angry mob. The village has never stopped looking for Igor and the monster. No one's been murdered. I don't know why they're that upset. The girl who's been missing for two weeks that Frankenstein doesn't even have. Oh, okay. Elsa took him. Yes, if they had seen the creature run away with the girl, that'd be one thing, right? But all they know is a house burned down and the child presumably died in it. But the father makes a speech saying, I don't think so. There's no bones in the ash. 
Yeah, but I mean, again, you know, this is not the era of CSI. They can't, you know, go in there and prove that she wasn't in the rubble. You needed to believe that Frankenstein stole the child in order to believe an angry mob would come to Chateau Frankenstein to retrieve her. It's just not well set up. I mean, I appreciate that they want to have people banging on the door and smashing in there to grab the child and kill the monster, but you didn't do the work to set up the motivation. Like much of this movie, it's just kind of fall on these sort of lazy, predictable plot points. Yeah, and that's what I meant when I feel like, oh, we have these scenes from something that we're not going to use now. Let's throw them in here. Let's Frankenstein this film together. (laughs) It feels like that at times with its plots that just come out of nowhere. Yeah. Did you even know who Eric was? I mean, I had to look up online. He was a cop. That he was a cop. I don't think it's even really clearly established in this movie. Like, none of the characters really matter other than maybe Frankenstein and Bomer. But again, that rivalry, it was one scene, Jacob. It was one scene of Bomer grumbling under his breath as he threw switches that he should be the celebrated scientist because he was the one that pioneered this bad brain removal technique. Yeah, I just don't see how putting Igor's brain in the monster gets you that fame. No. I don't see how any of this is working. No. But we have a climax. Hoosman does uh, reunite with his little girl and then everyone else gets gassed. It should be said that earlier <laughs> when the Frankenstein monster burst into the house, the way that Ludwig sedated him was to release this sulfuric... Again, this is like a product placement for sulfur. Jump into a bath <laughs> of sulfur and your body will be preserved. Have crooks breaking into your house. You can knock them out with sulfur gas. It's probably a delicious afternoon snack. Have some sulfur bites. Also, I don't know what we knew when, but 1942, this German village, there's gassing going on. I don't know if you want to tap into the times that much, but maybe we didn't know that yet. No, they wouldn't have known. Ooh, I didn't even think of that. I didn't even think about that, but I bet they did not know. I don't imagine in 1942, America knows that. Yeah, I don't think so. Definitely not. Just an unfortunate, now I'm very uncomfortable coincidence. But yes, okay, so let's talk about the defeat. Yes, Igor is going to live forever, except he has Kettering blood in him. And because the blood type doesn't match the organs, which probably should have been a problem for all the bodies, right? I don't think that was vetted. Yes, that's what I was saying earlier. I know. It's always bothered me that all these different bodies that were just pulled out of the grave just happened to work together. It's a give me. Yeah, this is weird. I mean, it's a fantastical thing. But th- now that they're saying that this is a problem here, that he's gone blind and throwing Balmer into the equipment to kill him because, you know, how is he going to function now? He's stumbling around, knocking over things, starting a fire. I guess I wouldn't have a problem with this ending if we had had a lot of deaths in between. But we've just met Igor Stein and now you're taking him out. I'm angry. I want more Bela. I don't know if I'm angry. I'm just like, oh, like I knew this one was short. This is the shortest of the four. And yeah, it was just like, oh, you finally got to something that I could really sink my teeth into and it's over. It is the shortest running time. I don't feel like it's the quickest in terms of pacing. No, this feels long at times. Very. Honestly, it feels like the longest of all of them. I couldn't believe how short it is. And agreed. It's such a slog. Yeah, I want to stress that. Because it is 70 minutes does not mean that it's fleet. It actually feels like the longest one because you keep waiting for something fun to happen. In all the other ones, there's inventiveness. And here, the only thing that I've liked has been, I mean, we waited 30 minutes for a ghost that was lame. And now we've waited 60 minutes to get Igor Stein. And now the house is burning down with him inside. And I just think, I don't know, like, couldn't you have had a chase scene? Couldn't things have happened to give him, I don't 
don't know, at least 10 more minutes of fun. Would it have been a problem with code? The movie's short enough, they could have squeezed it in, I think. I mean, they kill people in other movies. They could have done it in that way, but we want killing. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. If Igor is a mass murderer with an abnormal brain, let's see him geek out on his new physical strength and start massacring people. Uh, do it in a 40s style. I'm not saying I expect spatter and 80s prosthetics, but I do feel like you want a rampage. It's a monster movie after all. I agree. But we're going to get the exact opposite of that. We're going to get a slight rampage around an office as he starts yet another fire. Yeah. And then a romantic sort of, well, thank God Elsa is okay. Because again, our morality <laughs> insists that we want the wholesome characters to get away and have their happy ending. It's like a scene out of Gone with the Wind that he's carrying her up this hill away from the fire to the sunrise. Yeah, it's crazy. It feels like they were, like, engaged to get married or something. Like, they were a big... They were. I think so. Are they? Okay. Yeah, I think so. I never got that vibe from their interactions. Like, I thought he was into her and, like, was trying to woo her, but okay. Maybe they were together, but this feels like an ending. Like, Elsa and Eric should have been the main characters, and they are not. Yeah, or done more with them. or Again, have the creature chasing them. Maybe he was in love with her. Maybe you set that up, that Igor liked Elsa. Again, there's stuff you could have done in this 70 minutes, and instead, they replayed old footage and replayed old beats. Well, let's replay our usual ending. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend The Ghost of Frankenstein? Jacob. This for sure is the weakest of the four that we reviewed, and there's problems here. We've talked about that. It's very short, and yet feels very long. Bella's back, but uh, he doesn't do enough. Like, the best time is when he finally gets his brain put into the monsters, and then we're over. Like, I'm always waiting for this film to, like, ramp up and just go, and I just continually feel like it's stalling, 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 and then it, like, juts forward for a couple of seconds and then just putters out and kind of ends. Like, I didn't hate this film. I enjoyed going through it another b movie monster mash film bella's back not as good like yeah they're gonna repeat a lot of stuff and it's just not gonna be as good this time and the fact that yeah you don't have that rampage i don't know i don't know why people are after this monster except they're blaming him for taking a little girl which i guess he did but come on like talk to the guy you see he's got the mind of a child like i don't know a lot of wasted opportunities here i didn't need it to be like amazing i just wanted another fun movie like last week and unfortunately this one it's a bit of a slog I, I think if you could tolerate if you like you like Bella as Dracula just because it's Bella then you could get through this one easy I, I still think this is better than any of those universal Dracula films that we watched from the black and white era ouch okay but yeah it's just kind of a slog I definitely don't think it's that bad but this is the one out of these four this is the one that I figure would show up on like Mystery Science Theater 3000 because it's just kind of mockable like when that ghost is floating around and everything. So for me, it's a weaker not recommend, but it is a not recommend. Stuart. I know what you mean about weaker not recommend because, you know, I think I said when we were talking about Bride of Frankenstein, we could have gotten a, a sequel that traffics in tropes. Instead, we had this subversive director who made this camp classic. And here, this is that film. This is that uncreative sequel that does all the predictable things, has, you know, very straightforward camera setups, bargain basement production values, predictable scripting. Nothing stands out. But is that a problem? If you're just a fan of Universal Monsters, 
monsters. I get the idea that in some ways, I like my Universal Monsters like I like a bottle of Coke. I want it to taste the same no matter which one I pick up, right? You give me some matte paintings, some thunder and lightning, some hammy performances about people playing God and, you know, tragedy ensuing. That might be enough for some people. This movie's not bad or good enough to really tip the scale in either direction too far. It's proudly mediocre in a way that might feel like comfort food. But here's why I'm going to red arrow it. Because I needed something to be really successful. And sadly, none of the novel elements, like the ghost, we can all admit the ghost, is a mislead. It tells you that you're going to get something way crazier and more exciting, if not scary, than it ends up being. This lame scene of Henry floating around saying, don't burn my paperwork. Not what I wanted for my ghost. And sadly, I'm going to argue that Lon Chaney's monster and even worse, Bella's Igor just aren't doing anything. They're doing what you expect, but nothing that would charm you. You know, like all the goodwill comes from the earlier work. If this was the first time you were seeing those characters, I don't think you would care whether they lived or died. And so I think that matters. I think in the end, yeah, Bella, while the bright spot of Son of Frankenstein, cannot save his ghosts. And at 70 minutes, this movie is the first time. I want to point out, I recommended all those Dracula movies from the 30s and 40s. I recommended every Frankenstein movie. This is the first time I'm getting a red arrow, however mild, for a classic Universal Monster movie, but this one is just not creative enough. A very mild not recommend for a very mild ghost. And last week, I liked part three more than either of you did, and now I hate part four more than either of you do because (laughs) Mm. I had a real trouble getting through this one. Again, it's a 70-minute movie. This should be really easy. We reviewed Gone with the Wind. It's a four-hour film, and yet I felt like that moved better than this 70 minutes did. Really, maybe there was something wrong with my setup, and it was playing at a slower speed than it should have because this... (laughs) felt like time elongated. I really just lacked the fun of this. And at the beginning, I thought it was going to be wacky. I mean, Frankenstein just walks out of sulfur better preserved and Bella Lugosi is back. And it just had me so hopeful after enjoying part three so much. But the moment we're introduced to our Frankenstein, this time Ludwig Frankenstein, this movie falls apart. And when the ending came and it was those two lovers on the hill watching the place burn. I'm like, wait, was this movie about them? Were they even really in this movie? I mean, I know Eric kept running back and forth to the castle to try to stop the mob from burning it down, but it really didn't feel like their movie and that's where it ended. And so, yeah, this is a real solid not recommend from me. And I'll agree with you though, Stuart, this is probably the worst Universal Monster movie we've watched so far. Yeah, it's just rote. I mean, there's nothing special about it. And there is stuff that's unspecial about it. What I'm imagining people are wondering is, why are we stopping here? There are obviously more Frankenstein movies in the classic series. A year later, there's going to be him and the Wolfman. You've already mentioned there's an Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. Why aren't we going on and covering those? Well, I think that's its own franchise. All of those other movies bring in other universal monsters we haven't talked about. So I feel like until we cover the solo Wolfman movies, the solo Mummy movies, the solo Invisible Man movies, we shouldn't watch the movies where they all come together. 
so we won't. And as for the later Frankenstein films, I know we've had people in the Facebook group asking, what about Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? Well, that wasn't a universal picture. Some did try to argue, what about this Lisa Frankenstein, which is internationally distributed by Universal? Oh, that looks so awful. I wouldn't even care if it was made in 1935 <laughs> by James Whale. That just, ooh, painful. No, we're not doing that. So we will get back to Frankenstein and Universal, but it's going to be a little while. Yeah, I mean, it's worth pointing out. There is one on the horizon that it has been the life dream of Guillermo del Toro to tell the Frankenstein story. And my understanding is, not unlike Kenneth Branagh, he's going to be closer to the Mary Shelley novel than what Universal did in the 30s and 40s. But he's making it at Universal. As of right now, it is set up, it is cast, it is filming at Universal Studios. So when that comes out in 2025, is what I'm imagining, we'll cover it, we'll have to. He is a universal Frankenstein and maybe just maybe we'll pick up some of these weirdo non-universal ones. If there's ones you want to see. But not Lisa Frankenstein. <laughs> maybe the one with Sting and Jennifer Beals. You know, they remade Bride of Frankenstein. And I hear Maggie Gyllenhaal is also directing for Netflix her own remake of Bride of Frankenstein. There are probably ones we should and I want to cover, but uh, that can be decided next year when we get Guillermo's vision. As of right now, we're going to take a break from Universal Monsters, but we will get some this year. It's worth pointing out that Radio Silence, the directing team that rebooted the Scream franchise, has done a very secret Universal Monster project they're planning to release in April. And rumor is it's some kind of weird remake of Dracula's Daughter. If that's true... We'll cover that in April or whenever it comes out. And then it was just announced in the fall, I think around Halloween, Lee Winnell, who scripted the remake of The Invisible Man, has also done a version of The Wolfman. We'll have to cover those other Wolfman. Lon Chaney and Benicio Del Toro have already done it. We'll cover those films leading up to the release of that new one. So there will be Universal Monster fans a reason to be happy in 2024. We may not do any more Frankenstein, but we've got some good ones hopefully on the horizon. Meanwhile, we're going to start on our main feed next Tuesday with three one-offs that form kind of a thematic trilogy chosen by one of our patrons who will be joining us on those shows. Next week, we're doing Hitchcock with Rear Window. You know, this is actually what I wish Now Playing would do more often. So often we follow literal sequels and surprise, surprise, they're crappy. They get worse. <laughs> Where does the franchise get better? But if you take a seminal classic like Rear Window, you know, a movie that is beloved and so influential, we know that other people unofficially remake it all the time, that we're going to cover Brian De Palma's body double from the 80s in the week after, and then Shia LaBeouf in Disturbia the week after that. I think he's under home arrest or something. I haven't seen that one. I have seen the De Palma movie. I like the idea that we're following a concept. The idea is how do you remake Rear Window without doing it directly? Because God knows I don't want to watch that one with Christopher Reeves in the wheelchair. Oof. Painful. You'd rather watch Shia? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> And so we shall. Yeah, this is sort of a requested franchise from one of your own out there that, yeah, we'll have him explain why he picked these two as the spinoffs of Rear Window. But yeah, we're going to start with Hitchcock next uh, Tuesday. 
And if you are a patron or donor at the gold level this Friday, you will be rewarded with a review of Beverly Hills Cop 3. Rewarded. Rewarded? Yeah, what a word for that. Counterfeit rewarded. I, a lot of counterfeiting going on in that movie, including counterfeit Beverly Hills Cop. I'll just go ahead and say, <laughs> that don't feel like no real Eddie Murphy movie. But it's something to talk about. I certainly hope you can join us because that movie is astonishing in how it tries to change Eddie's image in the 90s. He's certainly not the Axel F of the 80s and hopefully not the one that's going to be in the new film either. Yeah, there is a Beverly Hills Cop 4 Axel F coming out later this year. If you donate at the gold level, you can hear our review of all three released Beverly Hills Cop films and then the release of Axel F, our review when that comes out, as well as other 80s cop films we're going to be discussing. You can see the list at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Every penny you donate helps to keep this show going. Thank you in advance for any donation you can make. We all greatly appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Now Playing. Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. Good night, all, and pleasant dreams. Come on. You've had enough excitement for one night. This strange man you call a monster is dead. Thank you for listening to this Now Playing Podcast movie review. We hope you enjoyed the show. I must continue my experiments. Help us spread the word about this show by leaving a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your podcast store of choice. With my friend, he does think for me. Want more reviews like this one? In the archive section of NowPlayingPodcast.com, you'll find more than 1,000 in-depth movie reviews from our panel of hosts. Before you came, I was all alone. It is bad to be alone. On our site, you can hear reviews for every installment in the world's biggest film franchises, including the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Star Wars, Spider-Man, Batman, X-Men, James Bond, Middle-Earth, Jurassic Park, Fast and Furious, and Transformers. But this isn't science. It's more like black magic. Plus, we have individual movie reviews, such as Titanic, E.T., Inception, Big Hero 6, Ready Player One, Pulp Fiction, Apocalypse Now, Dr. Strangelove, and hundreds more. Your health will be ruined if you persist in this madness. And come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com next Tuesday for another all-new movie review podcast. We're going to explore something so foreign to us, we can't even imagine what it's going to be like. Support from listeners like you keeps Now Playing Podcast on the air. Thank you. Thank you for your courtesy. You can donate directly by tapping the support button at nowplayingpodcast.com. And you can join our crowdfunding campaign for early access to new episodes, exclusive reviews, and bonus reviews. You'll do as I say, and you will have everything you want. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Here he planned a miracle. I saw it come to pass. Associate produced by Jason Latham. He's completely superhuman. Now playing is edited by Heath, Santiago, and Arnie. I'm exhausted. I must get sleep. Work. Finish. Now playing credits read by Brock. How beautifully dramatic. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts 
and may not reflect the views of Venganza Media Incorporated. Nobody believe me. Right? I'll wash my hands a bit. Let them all be murdered in the beds. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. As long as you continue to live in this place, you're in danger. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. You're speaking in riddles, Head Inspector. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2024, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. We belong dead. <laughs>